welcome to Queer in Time, a four-part mini-podcast about how the pandemic has specifically affected the queer community in particular. Today, I am blessed to be joined by Christian Fuscarino, who is the executive director of Garden State Equality and the founder of the Pride Network. So to start us off, that you have a big, long title, and you should definitely introduce your organizations, how they were founded, when they were founded, and what they do. Thank you for having me on, Misha. I really appreciate the fact that you are telling uh, this important story, especially during a really difficult year for so many people. Um, what we've what we've learned is that uh, this year has uh, disproportionately affected those who already have existing barriers to healthcare. And so I just wanted to say at the start, I'm so glad that you're telling this story and making sure that people understand uh, how this year has impacted people in different ways. Um, I have a long title mostly because the organization's name is long, Garden State Equality, three words. Um, and I have had the honor of leading this organization since 2016. Um, this past April marked five years here. Um, and it's it's really been the honor of my life to be able to lead a statewide organization that has such a far-reaching impact, but also um, having such a, a meaningful impact on so many different people in our community. Um, the, the organization, you know, found me and asked me to apply five years ago. And this was at a time when many people were wiping their hands, going home and saying the job is done because we had one marriage equality. Um, in fact, the sister organization in New York, Empire State Pride Agenda, which was the organization responsible for getting marriage equality in New York, closed their doors and said that there's nothing left to do. Um, and if, right, we, we knew better than that. We knew that our trans siblings had yet to reach the level of equality in which they needed. We knew that folks in our community, whether from the BIPOC community or uh, Im uh, immigrant community, that there were still so many injustices happening and issues that needed to be addressed. And so this work continued. Um, and the folks that came forward at that time I have much appreciation for because these issues weren't big and sexy like marriage equality. There weren't millions of dollars being funneled in from corporations and national organizations and large donors. This was like grunt work. This was the work that um, happened a lot behind the scenes, reading policy and making sure that people are protected, making sure that people had lived equality in their life because just because the law passes doesn't mean that people automatically their life is perfect and they have no issues and experience no uh, and don't experience discrimination or, or have any barriers. So that's that's what this work is now. And I am so grateful to all of the membership of Garden State Equality that has stood with this organization in well year, um, which is in some cases a long time for an organization to exist. Uh, because the work continue, continues, the battles continue, uh, discrimination is still here, even in New Jersey. We live in this, uh, you know, bub bubble uh, that a lot of folks think discrimination doesn't exist and there aren't injustices that take place between, uh, you know, New York and Philadelphia in this really diverse, uh, densely populated state. But that couldn't be further from the truth. And, and I look forward to talking about some of that with you today. Well, wonderful. That's just a wonderful introduction. And I'm so excited to dig into this with you. And 
really like you gave me a wonderful thank you but honestly thank you for coming on the show and i'm really so excited to interview you and it's gen genuinely a privilege to interview someone who's in the fight trying to solve these issues so speaking of the pandemic and isolation in particular um, we know that safe spaces are very important to the queer community because we have to value something called chosen family. Not every member of the queer community is going to be born into a situation or placed in a situation where they would find other people who are A, like them, or B, accept them. So there comes this idea of the chosen family. It's not the people that you just are plopped down around. It's the people who love you and come to accept you regardless of whether or not you would have you know, found them just where you were plopped down in the world. And with COVID, we've been isolated, especially queer youth who may not be out or may not have financial means to separate themselves from oppressors. We have a wide issue, a disparity between the struggles that the queer community or minority communities face during this time. So could you explain some of the ways that the queer community has been disproportionately affected or the ways intersectionality has disproportionately affected minorities during the pandemic? Absolutely. This has been a really challenging year and I love your framing of chosen families for this because it really, it comes, it comes, uh, it, it, that, that is connected through a few different ways, right? One is, um, being, uh, socially distanced with your biological family in some cases, um, not being able to see your chosen family uh, to find that, that space and that refuge. Um, and then the obstacles that come from ex existing and being a young queer and trans person in an unsupportive home. So, you know, kudos to that framing. I, I, I love that. Uh, you know, you are asking with that in mind and not just how the pandemic has impacted individuals. So let's think about this. You know, the, the pandemic started with everybody being encouraged to stay home and for queer and trans youth that meant um, potentially being in an environment that was unsafe, unfortunately. For some LGBTQ youth, we know that safe um, school can be a safe harbor for them. They look forward to leaving the home environment and going to school. And the reason I put emphasis on that is because LGBTQ youth face some of the highest rates of bullying at, compared to uh, other student populations. And yet that space can be safer than their home environment. Um, this is not surprising to LGBTQ listeners because we all know uh, the experiences that our, our peers have gone through or we have gone through. We, we know the anxiety and stress that comes from living in an environment where you're unsure if your family supports you. But for other listeners, um, this was an, an added obstacle for a lot of young people. And unfortunately, what we found was as families spent more and more time together, especially in the earlier months, parents learned a lot more about their children. And in some cases, children learned a lot more about their parents. Um, and that could have meant um, discovering that your, your child is LGBTQ and you deciding that they have no place in your life and that your 
that you have an inability to love them anymore simply because of who they love or how they identify. And that led to young people being put out on the streets in the middle of a pandemic, uh, left with, with finding, needing to find a place to go. Uh, this, this was, this was you know, the, the, the middle of winter where this pandemic started. And so there were instances, even here in New Jersey, of young people not being able to find a shelter because shelters were trying to figure out how they manage uh, COVID precautions at that time. Um, you know, n- not having a lot of resources in the city because everything was shut down. It, 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 it you know, was likely one of the worst times in, in our lifetimes for a young person to be homeless. And, you know, that, that's saying a lot because it's never, it's never a safe uh, space to be uh, without a home. And so um, that, that's, that's a devastating side of effect that the pandemic has brought is, is parents kicking out their, 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 their children at, a, at that time. The other side of it, right, is, you know, young people being able to go out on the weekends or after school and finding their chosen family, finding support there, being able to share their experiences. Um, for those that, have, that were able to stay home and then virtually, that's great. For those that were in it, weren't in an environment where they could find uh, time to connect with their loved ones, um, it, there is definitely a mental health impact that needs to be considered. There's a mental health impact that needs to be considered for everybody. But to think about <clears throat> young people who have who might have gone even a year without leaving the house and, and being able to communicate with people that they feel comfortable around. Um, that, that's a devastating blow. And that's why some of the work that Garden State Equality does is around adverse childhood experiences and mental health um, and, and a, a community approach to healing. Because, you know, we can have all the laws on the books, but if young people uh, and, and queer and trans individuals uh, are not able to, to find supportive environments, uh, there's a toll that, takes, that it takes on, on that individual. And so that work needs to be addressed. Well, you already start going into some of the work that your organization is doing to combat, in general, you know, the, the disparities that the LGBTQ community faces, like, in the medical world, um, you know, with homelessness, with everything. But what are you doing right now to help the exacerbation that has occurred due to the pandemic? Yeah, so this year we we shifted our work a little bit. Um, the majority of our work continued virtually uh, through trainings and professional development and um, and legislative work that that continued remotely. But where we added to the work was um, first of all helping our population find access to testing because that was a real challenge early on. Another thing that we focused on is making sure that SOGI data was collected. SOGI data is sexual orientation and gender identity data so that we could better understand if COVID was having a larger impact on the LGBTQ community than the general population. Um, we didn't make as much progress there that we that we wanted to. And the reason I, the only reason I mentioned it on this call is because as we move forward as a state, as a community, as a nation, as a world, we need to try to include SOGI data wherever possible because we don't want to go into another pandemic not even understanding the impact it has on our community and the people that we love. And um, so um, we, we, 
helped find, uh, you know, help our community find testing. As soon as vaccinations were available, we partnered with some already existing healthcare providers to get vaccination appointments, particularly for people who were living with HIV, which wasn't a qualifier until late March. And I have not been able to get a straight answer on why that wasn't an immediate qualifier from uh, health professionals that were charged with making the decision on what qualifiers were. And so, you know, I'll say, I'll say right now, um, we told, we told people living with HIV that wanted a vaccination to, to, uh, you know, say that, say that they're, they're smokers or find another qualifier, because if you don't have any hard data um, and you're going to tell a population that has already been impacted by the government, not uh, uh, attending to the needs of, of, of a virus, then we're not going to go the second time around during a pandemic. And, and, and without you telling me specifically why people living with HIV, uh, you know, weren't qualified till the end of March. And so that was the main focus of ours at the time was making sure that, um, you know, in the earlier days of vaccination, that people living with HIV had access to those appointments. And then later to the LGBTQ population. We saw a study out of California that came out that said uh, non-white LGBTQ people were twice as likely to test positive for COVID. And so that data existed. We needed to look at that and say, well, there's no data anywhere else, but the data that does exist is showing that there's a higher rate of infection. Um, We know that the LGBTQ people uh, have a higher rates of tobacco usage, which smoking was one of the qualifiers. And so at this point, we don't know if COVID had a larger impact on the LGBTQ community, but we do know through some studies and through some of the other uh, data points for why people were contracting COVID that um, this population was hit pretty hard. Um, Now at this point that it's easier to find vaccinations and I I encourage anyone who has not yet to be vaccinated to find a vaccination site because it is very easy at this point. You can just walk in and get vaccinated. Um, but for people who have transportation barriers, they're not able to get to vaccination sites. And so we called our friends at Lyft and said, what can we do to make sure that nobody who doesn't have access to transportation doesn't get a vaccination? And um, we're, we're proud to share that anyone who has transportation barriers can call Garden State Equality and we will give them a Lyft code to get to a vaccination site at no cost. That is absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for doing that. And I feel like ability is something that is often overlooked in, you know, the different identifiers that could inhibit you from getting a vaccine or in COVID. So thank you for bringing that up. And thank you for, you know, creating this effort. And I'm happy that this is another means of getting the word out about that. So if anyone listening has, um, you know, transportation, a barrier, then I hope that they can get into contact with you now. Um, So your organization is obviously doing wonderful work. So what can people do, either from a local area or from far away from wherever they're listening, how can they support your organization? And the second part to the question, how can we support the queer community and not necessarily just your organization? How can people be better allies, um, even to the different identifiers within the community? So um, let's start with ways that folks can uh, not, uh, who, who can support the, the community and not the organization, because I could t- spend all day talking about how 
to support the organization. And I will touch on that. Um, but, you know, on a broader sense for how to be a supportive ally is, first of all, visibility. So whether that's adding a pin on your backpack, showing something on social media, putting a bumper sticker on your vehicle or bike, whatever, wherever you think you can show visibility to say, I'm an ally, like, or, or I support equality for queer and trans people. If you do that, then whether it's in your school or your workplace or your church or your community center, wherever you're gathering around other people, LGBTQ people in that space will see you as someone that is safe to them, someone that potentially they could come out to, someone that they know they could be their authentic selves around. around. And so visibility is so important because in a lot, in a lot of ways, the LGBTQ plus identity is an invisible identity. Um, and so both for being an ally and being a member of that community, visibility is very important, even, even this day and age. Um, of course, only do that if you know that you're going to be in a, in a safe place. Don't, I'm not suggesting that people, uh, you know, go into an unsafe environment and, and wave a, a, a progressive pride flag. Um, although, you know, if that's what you want to do, all the power to you to paving the way. But, um, so that's, that's the first step. Um, showing your pronouns wherever you can. So whether that's in your email signature, in your Zoom name, by showing pronouns, you're showing that not only you're, are you telling people how to address you, but you're showing people who uh, uh, you know, have pronouns that are different than perhaps their, their gender expression or for people who often have their pronouns mis, uh, confused, you're showing them that not only do you recognize the importance of pronoun usage, but you're creating an environment where they too will feel comfortable putting their pronouns next to their name. Um, you can do that on Instagram now. So, you know, if the listeners to this podcast are of the younger generation, um, I realize I'm aging myself by saying that um, you can go on Instagram and add it there. Um, so that's, that's great too. As, as also, and then the last thing I just want to say for a broad sense is making space for other voices different from yourself and listening more than talking uh, that and that goes for really just any person that is different from you who may have different lived experiences making sure you listen to them making sure um and and that that's an important thing to remember as well as far as supporting garden state equality they're, they're just by following us on social media um, you can type in Garden State Equality on almost any platform, and we have a social media page there. Um, liking and sharing information that is beneficial to the whole community. For example, we just um, were, were one of the folks that helped change the fact that you don't have to publish your name change in a newspaper because that lacked dignity for uh, queer and, and trans individuals, non-binary community. They shouldn't have had to do that. We were able to change that along with other activists and attorneys, um, we posted that on our social media, but that won't get out there to the general population. So you can step up and be helpful by sharing that information that we that we post. And then we have some in-person events. So June 12th and 13th, we're doing our annual equality walk. It's going to be in South Jersey and North Jersey, at Atlantic City and Montclair. And you, you can fundraise online if if you know if you're if you're short. On, on cash and you know don't have a network that you think would donate just coming out and being present and visible and supporting us in person that that is just as meaningful as a, a cash contribution um and uh you know whenever they're in subscribing to our emails so whenever you see 
an action alert for a donation, uh, that would be helpful as well. Without individual contributions, we wouldn't be able to do the work that we do. All right. Well, that's so wonderful. And I'm so glad to, you know, be um, a means of passing out these different pointers for how we can make a difference. Because oftentimes when you're tackling an issue that seems so beyond you and so large, it, it's easy to just get lost looking at all there is to do still and to just get stuck. So these are very tangible ways that an everyday person, because that's how we all feel about ourselves, can actually chip away at this larger issue. So now that we're coming up to the end of our time mark for the podcast, I'd like to give you the chance to, you know, give some contact information so that people know where they can subscribe to this email list, how they can donate, how they can come into contact with you, where they can follow you. All right, floor is yours. <laughs> Thank you for making that space, Misha. Uh, folks can go to www.gardenstateequality.org. They can follow us on, on social media sites, uh, and there, there should be links there to sign up for our email and, and to follow us and like us. And uh, the, more, the more folks that we are able to build in our network, the more action we're able to take. And, I, and so if you, if you think that, you know, I like a ton of organizations already, why am I going to like Garden State Equality? Uh, a more recent example is there was a piece of anti-LGBTQ legislation that was introduced in New Jersey. We sent out an action alert that allowed individuals to contact their legislators through about three clicks. And so by following us, you're also equipping yourself with the tools to make change in your community. All right, perfect. Well, I hope that the people listening will definitely subscribe and take a look at your website and follow you on social media if they haven't already. I'd like to say a big thank you for, you know, taking some time out of your very busy schedule to come talk to me for my podcast. And uh, it's really been a privilege. So thank you so much. And that's a wrap.